Chad and Jay Mansbridge here, lead pastors of Bayside Church International, based here on the south coast of South Australia. Our great passion as a church is to help people to know Jesus and to demonstrate His love, truth and life in everything that we do. We hope you enjoy today's message. I do want to talk about a journey. Who's been on a journey? We should all have our hands raised. A journey can be as simple as going for a walk this morning. Has anyone been for a walk this morning or a run? A journey is getting to another destination. All of you actually travelled here today, true? By car, by foot, by motorbike, by bicycle. Everyone has travelled here today. You set your minds on a journey, destination church, and you plan to arrive. But who knows, no matter what journey you take, obstacles can arise. Who's got a flat tyre on their way to church before? Whose children have fought in the car and you've thought about turning back? Whose husbands have fought with their wives? Because us wives never fight with their husbands, do we? Who's had conflict in the car on the way or on a Sunday morning? Who has ever gone for a walk and sprained their ankle, stepped on a piece of glass? What holds you back in life? What stops you from completing your journey? Obstacles. And they always have the ability to arise. We set our mind on a journey, we set our mind on a destination, and we do our best to get there in the time that we have determined. But sometimes we get held up. But you still set your mind on that journey, don't you? You still set your mind on that destination. I love going for walks because quite often I can see where I'm going in the distance. And it seems really small. And I feel like it's a challenge to get there. But I know put one foot after another, and eventually I'll end up there. But it seems really small. But then I get excited as it gets larger and larger and larger. Does anyone else do this? I, I challenge myself on walks, and sometimes I'm like, ooh, that's not small enough in the distance. I'll go for something I can't see. However, I will not go on these ultra-walking trips that my friends do. 50, 100, Ks, no. That is not supposed to be walked. <laughs> and it is not supposed to be run either. Those that can run it, you are amazing. I'm not following in your footsteps. Today, I don't want to look at a physical journey, although I do use it as an example because it's a very easy one to follow. But I've been drawn time and time again to a journey that we find in Numbers 13. Do we have any of the slides? Are they working, Jono? Today, if you want to title it, who still writes old-school notes? Who's got their phone out and notes on their phone? Destination complete. Start with the finish in mind. And we're going to be looking at Numbers 13. So if you do have your Bible, open it up. If you don't, that's okay, because I'm going to stick it up on the screen. We're going to be looking at the story of entering the Promised Land. We're going to be looking at the person of Moses. Who knows about Moses? Okay, there's lots of... Hi, by the way, my name's Jay. I didn't even introduce myself. I'm so sorry. I think Alex did that for me. I don't know where you're from or how often you go to church, but we're looking at the story of Moses this morning. And if you went to Sunday school, he's the one who... His mum stuck him in a basket and chucked him on the Nile River. Why did she do that? Because all the men were getting killed. So she didn't want her little baby boy killed. Fair enough, mums? Yeah, fair enough that you'd do something as crazy as put your kid in a basket and send him off down the river. 
Uh, but Moses was a man who grew up in a land called Egypt. The family that he was born into and the community that he was born into, they were all living a life of slavery. So it's not a very fun place to grow up in, is it? <laughs> they're, they're getting out there. <laughs> Sorry about the little one making noise. She's getting there. Um, but they grew up in this land, didn't they? Where many were slaves. But Moses being going down the Nile River ended up in the home of a king, of Pharaoh. And so he grew up in a royal home with all the privileges that came along with that. Yes, there was some conflict, but he didn't have to grow up in slavery. And Moses went on quite a journey. He had to go out of the land of Egypt to kind of find himself. And in the midst of going out of Egypt, he met with a person called God. Remember, he gets to meet with God within the burning bush. And they form a relationship and God gives him directions on how to set the Israelites free from the place of Egypt. A massive task. Now the story of Moses really stands out to me because he was a man who was emotional. And I feel like I can relate to someone who's emotional. Anyone else? <laughs> he's confident, he's not confident. He is, he isn't. I'm like, hello, welcome to my world. And then he meets with God and God shares with him his plans and he's like, oh God, I hear you, but can I have some help? I'm kind of a bit nervous about this. And the thing about Moses that really excites me is it encourages me to be a leader, but it also shows me that God uses all kinds of personalities. He doesn't expect leaders to be instantly people who are tall and strong and mighty and they're the ones that can lead. No, he uses all sorts of characters. It is good news. Who's excited about that? <laughs> you threw me. What was my point? <laughs> Moses. So he comes, he sets the Israelites free out of Egypt. We all know that story, the Red Sea parts, and they go out and they end up in the desert. It's not a great place to be, but much better place to be with your family in the desert than serving with your family as slaves. Would you agree? I wouldn't want my family in slavery. That's not a nice thing at all. And so in this place, in this desert, God again speaks to the person of Moses. And he speaks on him on multiple occasions. And you can read about that in Numbers, in Deuteronomy. You can do Chad's Bible challenge. You can start now. Yes. yes. <laughs> start reading the Bible for a year. I didn't hear enough amens. Yes. Read your Bible in a year. Um, God speaks to Moses and he says, it is time. And so I want to look at this story in Numbers 13. I want to share this story also because last week, do we remember one of the young men that was prophesied over? Right at the end, Caleb. Caleb was prophesied over and it's interesting that God had been stirring this story in my heart and I wasn't 100% sure whether this was just for me or whether this was for us. And then in front of us all, Caleb is prophesied over. And so today we're going to look at the story of Joshua and Caleb. And let's start. Numbers 13, verse 1. Got it up there, Jono? That's it. The Lord said to Moses, Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving 
to the Israelites. Next one. I'm giving you this command in keeping... Oh, sorry. I've gone ahead of myself. Go back to the last one. All right. The Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. Was this a possibility that he was giving it to the Israelites or was this a command? It was a command. It was a promise. God spoke to the Israelites. God spoke through Moses to the Israelites and he said, I'm going to give you a promised land. It is yours. And so that is what Moses believed. Let's go to the next one. This is my first point this morning and I want to firstly begin by asking you a question. And Alex brought something of it up before. But what has God promised you? In 1 Timothy 18, it says, I am giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by recalling them, you may fight the battle well, holding on to the faith and a good conscience, which some of you have rejected, and so have suffered shipwreck with regard to the faith. God has given all of us promises. He has given us scriptures, he has given us songs, he has given us words through other people that we can hold on to and believe for and live our lives with those as our focus. Yes, sometimes we don't know what to do with our lives. Pull out all that God has spoken over you and read it over your life again. And if you haven't gotten anything yet or you're not aware of it, then find some friends and share and start talking about your lives and dream together. See what promises God reveals to you. But in this scenario, God has got an exact promise, this is the land I have for you. Have we got the next screen? It says in verse 2, from each ancestral tribe send one of its leaders. There were 12 all up. I won't read you all their names. I'm not as clever as Chad. So at the Lord's command, Moses sent out them out from the desert of Paran. All of them were leaders of the Israelites. Go to the next one, but I did print it off and I'm going to read it from here. When Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, Go up through the Negev and on into the hill country. See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak. Few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How is this soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees in it or not? Do your best to bring back some of its fruit of the land. It was a season for the first ripe grapes. This part of the story I find really interesting. I relate it a little bit to being given a piece of land or given a house. And Moses would have been excited by what he was about to receive. So he's thinking of things. He's like, I want to plan when we go in and take over the land. So I need to know the answer to these questions. Don't you ask these kind of questions when you get given a house? Oh, this looks really cool and I'm excited about it, but I think a door would look better over there and so that's going to have to be moved and that's going to be changed and that garden, oh, it's all right, but I think I'll just take it away and put a new garden in and, and you start thinking and you start dreaming. But that's not the way that the people who are going to go view the land hear the questions. Moses comes and he asks the questions because he has a plan to go into that land and to strategically take over it But they hear it and they go, oh, Moses is considering should we or shouldn't we enter the land? How do we hear what we are asked? Have you guys ever had conversations with others 
and you've said one thing and they've heard another? <laughs> Sometimes I've had a feedback to me about the way people have heard what I've said and I've just been like, oh, my heart is breaking that you heard it that way. What I said was meant for good and it harmed. So often we have this information trading that just doesn't go that well and I feel like this was kind of lost in translation. So remember, we're on a journey. We see the promises that God has given us. We look towards them in order to just walk one step at a time. And my next question is, is how is God directing you? In Psalm 37, it says, The Lord makes firm steps of the one who delights in him. Though he may stumble, he will not fall, for the Lord upholds him with his hands. So the journey begins. So they went up and they explored the land from the desert of Zin as far as Rehob towards Lebo, Hamath. Why am I saying all these words? They went up through the Negev and came to Hebron where Aham, Sheshai and Tamau, the descendants of Anak, lived. Remember them? I don't know who they were. Hebron had been built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. Uh huh. And when they reached the valley of Eshkol, McLaren Vale, they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes and two of them, two of them carried it on a pole between them along with some pomegranates and figs. They called the place the Valley of Eshkol because the cluster of grapes the Israelites cut off there. At the end of 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. This is a land that is full of abundance, a land flowing with milk and honey. They come back with such great Produce. Can I have, please, 10 volunteers? And my, my two extra volunteers. Can you rise up? I just, I just want you for numbers. I'm not going to embarrass you in any way. Just 10, 10 people stand up. Yeah, can you just stand along the front? I've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Keep coming. Have I got a few more volunteers? Oh, you two can come stand in the middle. Oh, they've got my grapes from McLaren Vale. Awesome. Yeah, come forward, Meredith. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Can I have one more? Beautiful. I've got Adelaide. Beautiful. Okay. <laughs> ten litres. 10 litres, 12 litres go out. They scout through the land to check it out. They go up to the high mountains. They go down into the valleys. They go to the seas. And they bring back... Now, I couldn't get... Can you two hold this? Uh, yeah, and on either side of it. You can drop plums now, that's fine. This... They are quite big grapes, aren't they? All right, I didn't have a vineyard in my backyard, which is very disappointing, but I did have a plum tree. No, 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 this is from my plum tree. <laughs> and it was one that needed pruning. It's fine. Um, <laughs> Dad's plum tree. And it did need pruning. But these men... 
Can we have the next slide? 40 days, 386 kilometres of walking, 12 tired men, one massive cluster of grapes, and some pomegranates and figs is what they come back with. Now, that to me seems like a good haul. Okay, they've carried it out of the land. Now, let me tell you, within this story, there is no evidence that there was a battle. There is no evidence that there was any conflict that these men had. It seems that they just kind of went to this beautiful, lush area, they had a bit of a holiday, and they got some grapes. Now, they probably enjoyed some good meals because they were in a place where there was an abundance. They probably had some good conversations along the way. We've, you know, when tourists are around, we know that they're tourists, but we still try and treat them kindly, don't we? Yeah. Don't we? Don't we, Victor Harborians? Hey, come on, come on Flurio. <laughs> we, we love it. I know we can't drive anywhere because there's so much traffic and all sorts of mischief happens, but we love having others come and visit. No, we do. We do. Twelve men come back with this produce. And everybody gets to see that. But let me tell you, within the Israelite community in the desert, there were either 400,000 men, women and children, or there were four million. The, they don't actually know the exact numbers, and they're the numbers that I got. Anywhere between 400,000 and four million. So tell me, did they get a chance to taste the produce? It's very unlikely that very many got to taste the produce. Now, interestingly, this same community, only a couple of chapters earlier, had been whinging and whining because they were so sick of eating manna and quail. But yet, they don't notice the abundance of food that comes in. They don't hear the stories of the men who came through and didn't have to fight in any battles. And all that happened with these guys is they came back tired. But between them coming back and giving a report and the report being understood and Moses and God making decisions, something terrible happened. A journey that was supposed to take a number of days was put on hold. And we're going to look at that. Can I have 10 of you go sit down? You two can put that on the ground if you want. You can sit on the stage if you want. You don't have to stand. <laughs> Please take the plums home. I don't need them. That was excess. Let me find where I'm up to. So the men return. They come back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community in Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. That's it, Jesse. Throw out the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. Have, try, taste. It's beautiful. Verse 28, if you're following along with me. But the people who live there are powerful and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, Jebusites and Amorites live in the hill country and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. 
See, I told you they'd been on a cool journey. They'd been, it, it must have looked something like Italy. It sounds just amazing. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the man who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes and we looked the same to them. Now tell me, when you go to a country and there is great produce in the land and the land is a beautiful place to live, do people generally look really good? Yeah. If they work the land often, they generally look really healthy. If their cities are built up and fortified, then they've generally got quite strong people living within it. When you are stronger, you generally look healthier and the more produce that comes with it. Now, God never said that there would not be strong people in the land. In fact, he said it would be a land full of milk and honey. And I heard it preached once before, and I love this saying, but that means that there were bulls and bees. Milk and honey, bulls and bees. There's always opposition, and yet they couldn't see it. Can we have the next slide? Hopefully that's easier to see behind me. This is what was heard during the feedback. People, powerful, cities, fortified, large. I don't know what it is about our brains. Have you ever looked at one of those brain teasers? And there can be a multiple of words, but you'll just see one word stand out. Well, something with our minds is we hear certain types of phrases. And, and the Israelites heard what was on their hearts. You know, I really think that these men that went in, these 10 men, still had engraved or, or something so immersed in their hearts about slavery that they just walked in completely fearful. As they walked through, they saw these mighty, strong people, and I think they just thought, you know what, any day we're going to be captured, our families are going to be back in slavery again. It's just better that we don't have the good produce and the good homes. The desert is a better place for us. It's a safer place for us. They couldn't hear the sound of God's voice for the fear that was just so on their hearts. They were so scared of slavery. This is all they heard. People, powerful, cities, fortified, large. And in fact, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And then what do they do? And we look the same to them. Whoa. They just made an assumption. So while they were in the land, they never got attacked. They carried out a branch that two people had to carry and no one pulled them up and said, hey, why have you got our branch? That's for our Shiraz and you've just stolen it. That was the good stuff. They didn't get stopped. No one took the fruit off of them. In fact, I don't know how they got that. Did they actually trade with the locals? I hope they didn't steal it. How did they get it? They had the good stuff. And yet because of what was in their hearts, their hearts were so poor, their hearts were so enslaved, they couldn't see the good that God had for them. Joshua and Caleb, can you guys stand up now for a sec? 
I don't know what was cultivated within these families. I don't know whether they just had families who had a lifestyle of gratefulness and thanksgiving and that regularly worshipped God. I don't know exactly what these two tribes looked like, but these two were leaders of tribes that somehow between the time that they'd left Egypt and the time that they'd entered the desert, they'd managed to change their hearts as well as their situations. And so they saw exactly the same things within the desert, oh sorry, within the promised land Canaan. But this is what they said. We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. Two of the twelve were able to say that. And I think it was an issue of the heart. You guys can sit down. You've done amazing. Thank you. Ah. We'll take it up. Yes, actually, can you put it in the foyer? If you want to take produce after the service, please be my guest. Just don't step on them. The next slide. I told you, they're very ripe. No, they're not. Oh, you tasted one. Okay, maybe put them, I don't know, in the sun for a few days. God promised... And yet their adventure or their journey was suspended for 40 years. Can you imagine any journey that we've ever been on has never been suspended for 40 years? I mean, I know there are some still trying to get back into Australia right at this moment because they're on a journey, on a plane, but still, it's only been one year. Let's hope they're not suspended for 40 years. So I want to talk this morning about how we can access the promised land that God has for us, because I really believe that God speaks to each and every one of us, and he has a promise for each and every one of us. In fact, we know that because he thought about us while we were still within our mother's womb. My first point with this is, stay focused. Find out what the promises are spoken over your life and stay focused. Keep taking steps forward with your eyes fixed firmly on Jesus. You know, I loved it. I had a conversation down the beach last week with a friend and she said to me, what's your word for this year? And I'm like, oh, what do you mean? Like a word for the church? Or? And she said, no, no, no. Well, like, what's your word for this year and what's God speaking to you? And I thought, you know, that's one of the greatest questions that you can be asked by a friend is what are you thinking about when it comes to God? How are you focused Where is your life directed? If you don't know the promises that God has for your life, that's a great place to start. What's your word for the year? What's God speaking right now in this moment? In Proverbs 4, verse 18, it says, The path of the righteousness is like the morning sun, shining ever brighter in the full light of day. Then it says in verse 23, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Do you think that those 12 could have done better had they guarded their hearts? Keep your mouth, ma- your mouth. <laughs> Who's got a mouse? Keep your mouth free of perversity. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. Hey, let's speak words that match who God has spoken us to be. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thought to your paths of your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or left. Keep your foot from evil. 
My second point this morning is plan well, see the big picture, and then write small goals. When I go for a walk, I can see my destination, but I know that I have to put one foot in front of the other. Sometimes it can seem really frustrating when things seem a long way off. When God has spoken, and yet, hang on a minute, it's just going to take so much to get there. When we know what God has spoken, we can come back and take the steps needed to partner with him. God always requires us to partner with him, and he always requires that there is an element of faith. Never leave out that element of faith. Because I really think when it came to entering the promised land, they were going to need faith to take over that land. They didn't just have 12 who had previously been in a place of slavery. They had 400,000 or potentially 4 million people. There was a lot of work that needed to be done. But God is a great God. And God had been showing them how faithful he was on the journey. Moses touched stone and water poured out. They needed food. God sent manna and he sent quail. He parted the Red Sea. There were times when they could have reflected and been grateful about the steps that God had shown them that he would do. And we need to do the same. That's what this, um, on Sunday mornings when we just say, let's be grateful for things. When we have the, the box, we want to hear about family life, but we also just want to cultivate that heart of gratefulness of remembering what God does. See the big picture, write small goals that take you in that direction, include faith instalments in your planning. Number three, spy out the land wearing a God-filtered lens so that when you catch yourself experiencing fear, train yourself to recalibrate. If ever there's been a year where it feels like fear has flowed in like a mighty flood, like a mighty river... Who thinks that that's true in many ways? You know, generally speaking, it just comes and affects a few of us, but to to have it just going over and over and over again, this is the greatest time in history when we need to stay focused and not let fear distract us from the promises that God has for our lives. Do you know, if ever you need a reason to focus, look at the next generation. Look at the children running around. Look at the babies that aren't even born yet. God has promises that he has spoken over their life. So if you're feeling fearful about the future, just pray into their future. Just continue to have a hope for this moment, for this now, for the things that God is doing because we want to raise them up as a generation that isn't filled with fear because of what started in the early years of their life, but is filled with faith and hope and love and expectation because we still serve a God who is really good and doing amazing things. And he wants us to have a hope-filled future. And he wants us to have a hope-filled now. Come on. We need to bring it into the next generation. We need to sow it into their lives. I tell you what, how often Zoe says to me, Such and such is happening because of COVID. (laughs) And I'm like, wow, let's change that conversation. I'm just continuing to have to massage hope and life and love over her little life. And that's not, it's not coming from me. (laughs) The greatest, greatest scripture 
I tell you what, if you need scriptures when it comes to uh, counterfeiting fear, just pick up any of Joyce Meyer's books and just read over and over and over again. But the greatest one that I always find to be true is Ephesians 6. Finally. You can say this first thing in the, in the morning. Not finally. I stand upon this. Today, I start with, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. That's a great place to start. Come on, I don't feel strong this morning. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Come on, the devil has schemes. There's an atmosphere, there's an environment. You know, sometimes you can feel it. You're in a place and you're like, I know that there's, this is worship at the moment and I should feel like this, but something else is coming. Push it aside. Come on, in Jesus' name, we get focused. We fix our eyes on you. That distraction is coming, but I'm focusing again. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of the dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore... Put on the full armour of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may stand your ground. And after you've done everything, stand. Do you know the very least that those 12 could have done is just stood at the gates and said, Moses, we don't know how we're going to take this land. We're really fearful, but we will stand here with you. Will you give us the next direction? We are really scared about this. But instead they went home and they went, that land, you don't want to go in there. And in fact, they created a momentum of fear amongst so many people that they took it over. How how could they enter the land once there was this momentum of fear? And I just wonder how often we create a momentum of fear just by transmitting bad news. Did you hear that report today? And it just goes throughout the community. Whereas we can hear that report, we can cancel it, and we can just go, I heard that, but you know what? I'm walking out in faith today. God has promises for my life. He's got things for my children. And this is what we're going to do. Just don't don't share the bad news. Don't share the bad report. We don't want to do that. Stand firm then. With the belt of truth buckled around your waist. With the breastplate of righteousness in place. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. You know, any day I can get bad news can walk into a doctor's office and they can tell me a whole heap of truth and I can stand there and I can hear the truth and then I can put it aside and say, Jesus, you're a greater truth. I hear that report. I'm not ignoring it, but I'm going to walk hand in hand with you through this journey. Fit me with the readiness of peace that I don't feel like I have right in this moment. Okay, God, let's go together. And that's the greatest thing we can do together as a community. If someone comes to you and they're really flat and like, I've experienced this, don't then share that bad news around. Have you heard what their report is? Oh, they've got this, this, this and this and this. No. Hey, guys, our friend's going through a hard time. Let's gather. Get around them. Okay, let's pray for them. Let's encourage them. Ring them every other day. Hey, we got you. You don't feel like you can pray at the moment? You feel like you're too sick? No problem. We've got your back. I'm bringing meals and I'm bringing prayers. And I'm bringing offerings of thanksgiving. And I'm thankful for what God's done in your life. And I'm grateful. Where are the promises that God's spoken over you? Okay, we're going to speak these out together. Be strategic when hard things hit. Follow the rules of Ephesians. Follow the strategies. Follow the advice. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Because what's 2021, Rob? We're finding our peace. 
In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. That's cool. I want to extinguish flames. Get your shields out. Everyone's going to be buying the big rings like I usually wear. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. I am coming to the end. Guard your thought life. Guard it. Guard it. Guard it. God can use every situation for good. Create space for him to fill a fearful situation with love. Have eyes to see his hand in situations and respond with gratefulness. Alex started sharing it this morning. In fact, Alex started sharing so much this morning, I wondered if I was going to have one of those moments where I got up on stage and had like five minutes and then that was it. (laughs) That would have been fine. Remember his promises for your life and your community. Chat with faith-filled friends and encourage one another to keep pursuing the passions he has written on your lives. In Philippians it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. And then it continues on to just give words that are encouraging and uplifting. We think about what is admirable, anything that is excellent or praiseworthy. Think about such things. Whenever you have learned or received or heard from me, put into practice. You know, we can hear these words over and over and over again, but if we don't practice them in a small way, they never grow and make us strong. So 40 years those guys spent in the desert. 40 years. Number five, let's together change the ratio and with it gain momentum. Imagine if the conversation that came home had have been so much different. Within a couple of days, they would have been in the promised land. Let's be a people who take the inheritance God has for us to the next generation so they can take new ground. And I love that young Caleb, who was prophesied over last week, was young Caleb. He's the next generation. There is something about setting the ground, setting the foundation for the next generation. Because I don't know about you, but I don't want them to be fighting the battles that I was supposed to win. I want to leave my children with an inheritance. And I don't want to leave them with a little inheritance. I want to leave them with a 10-story inheritance, like a 10-story foundation. I want to fight battles that I'm supposed to fight and give me a few more because I want to get them on higher ground than what I began on. And I began in a pretty good place. But God, come on, you and me, arm in arm, we're going to go higher, we're going to go wider, we're going to fight harder, we're going to see them in a place where they are so filled with love. I want the next generation to know what it is to just laugh with pure joy no matter what the circumstance. Who saw a greater measure of that last year? I saw a greater measure of joy. I found myself laughing more. Come on. I want to set that as a standard for my children. I want them to know what it is to praise and worship, no matter what the circumstance, with a greater intensity, with a greater passion, more alive with the fire of God than I ever was. Because that is the standard that they begin at. Number six, this is the last one. You ready? Mission is almost complete. Moses and the crew had to wait 40 years. That is a long time. And let me just, let me just set the scene here for a second. We have 12. Ten of those men came back with a report 
which means that until the day they died, they would have just been in a position where they went, you know what, it was a good land, but this is better. This is okay. At least here we're not in slavery. You know, we might have had better food, but they probably wouldn't have had a lot of regret because there was something still within them that meant that they were still in a slave mindset. But can you imagine being Joshua or Caleb? And you have to not only know that God had the land for you and it was just within reach and you were ready to go and take it, but now you know that God has promised it to you sometime in the future and you've got to get your heart back into a right place. So they knew what they had missed out on, but they still had to stay in a place where they were thankful and grateful and cultivated a heart full of praise because they knew that one day God would fulfill what he said he had started. So Moses and the crew had to wait 40 years and much of the tribe had to pass away before they could enter the land. But when they did, they entered, the la- they entered a strategic plan that consisted of prayer, praise and prophetic action. Do you know what I'm talking about? Battle of Jericho. Battle of Jericho is where they begin to take the land. And what do they do? They march around it seven times because that is what God told them to do. They march around it with praise and worship because that is what God told them to do. And things like that don't just happen. The reason that they were willing and able to do it was because I imagine in those 40 years they'd been practicing that in the desert. God, we are grateful for today. You're still giving us this manna and quail. Man, we're sick of it. But we are grateful for the food that you are giving us. God, you are here with us. We're thankful for that. They were grateful. They cultivated gratefulness. They cultivated praise. They cultivated imagining the possibilities. They cultivated prophetic strategies and how to see the hand of God unfold. They were faithful in raising up the next generation to see God's kingdom come, to see his promises fulfilled. These three Ps should always be at the forefront of our mind and situations as we look into the future that God has for us. Praise, prayer, prophecy. We'll break the ground so that you can see your promises fulfilled. You're struggling? Pray. Don't be anxious about anything. Man, I hate that scripture when I'm struggling. Oh, if people tell it to me, I'm like, are you kidding me? Do not be anxious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I tell you what, do do that. Because when I come out the other side and actually start to remember to praise and pray and be thankful, I'm grateful for those voices that annoyed me for a moment. I'm not saying be positive in all situations. No, we have to be very aware of what's happening. There is truth in situations. Sometimes situations are very bad and be very compassionate when you sit with others who are going through hard conversations and hard life issues, but come alongside them, meet them where they're at, and just raise them a little. Okay, we've got this scenario. Let's pray a little. All right, behind the scenes, pray a lot more. Okay, let's pray a little more. Let's praise together. Let's raise the situation. Let's be gentle. Situations are real. But in all situations... There is a prophetic strategy that God provides. 
and it is good. And I want to encourage you this morning that we can change the ratio. We can change the ratio in this place to a place where God is lifted higher and he is lifted higher and he is lifted higher again. And it is in that place that I want to encourage you this morning. This year, we are taking ground. I don't know what it looks like for you, but we are taking ground. And the next year, and the next year, because God is good. Mission complete. You've got this. I hope you've enjoyed today's message. Remember to check us out at baysidechurch.org.au. And of course, if you're ever in the area, please pop in and say good day.